All views expressed in this episode are the personal biases and opinions of each host, and they do not reflect the opinions of the Institute for Youth and Policy. The Institute for Youth and Policy is a bipartisan organization helping to educate people and bridge the gap. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Youth and Policy podcast. I'm your host, Dan Siddiqui. And I'm your host, Kate McLaughlin. This week, we're going to be discussing about the recall election in California for Governor Gavin Newsom. Governor Newsom sweeps sweeps the gubernatorial election this past Tuesday. The recall was brought forth following Newsom's pandemic response, mask mandates, vaccine mandates, and more by Republicans in California, most notably conservative talk show host Larry Elder, who, of the GOP candidates, was most likely to beat Newsom. With an estimated two-thirds of ballots counted, the no response to the question of whether to recall Newsom was ahead by a 30-point margin. Dan, do you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. I mean, um, I think the big takeaway is that Newsom absolutely crushed this recall. I know there were a lot of people saying that um, there was a genuine chance for him to lose. And I believe there was um, because there are even though the majority of people in California don't necessarily support Larry Elder or any kind of Republican candidate, um, there is a lot of um, anger and animosity towards Gavin Newsom because of the way he handled the pandemic and the homelessness crisis and, I mean, so many other things. But I believe after he got the key endorsements from former President Obama, President Biden, and Vice President Harris, um, that really helped Soar's campaign. And you did see the entire uh, Democratic Party come out full force behind him. So I really think that is what saved his campaign. Um, And I think another key takeaway is that the Democrats were successfully able to make the race about Trumpism. They were able to point out how crazy Larry Elder is um, with some of his positions. I mean, he is like super far right. He is a Donald Trump stand. He is for a zero dollar minimum wage. He is anti-gun control. He's anti-mask mandate. He's anti-vax, etc. And so I think um, the Democrats were successfully able to point out how insane and absurd um, the other candidate was and they were successfully able to, um, you know, provide a strong campaign for Gavin Newsom by not so much focusing on, oh, hey, Gavin Newsom is good because of X, Y, and Z, but they were successfully able to say, hey, we know Gavin Newsom might have not been the best, but I mean, these other guys are terrible. Yeah, I mean, if Larry Elder won, it would have been really scary as we're preparing for the midterm elections next fall seeing another Trump figure win such a big election would have been really concerning. Um, But Gavin Newsom didn't just survive. He thrived in this recall election. Um, And I think the election was more of a test of whether um, Trumpism was going to continue into 2021 and the 2022 midterms and everything. Um, And clearly it didn't, and it's not going to survive. And after this, I'm definitely a little hopeful that Americans are going to be abandoning this Trumpism and kind of recentering themselves into what politics are supposed to be. Yeah, I mean, the GOP is still struggling with whether uh, Donald Trump is the base of their party or not. And I think this recall election was a big test on Trumpism because uh, there were several other Republican candidates, but the Republican Party chose to rally behind Larry Elder, who was the most far right Trump supporting a Republican running against Gavin Newsom. And I think they're now in this conundrum where they're seeing that, um, you know, people who adopt Trump's kind of populist rhetoric and populist policies 
are more likely to win primaries within their own party, but they're not able to uh, successfully win elections on the national level. You know, we saw that um, uh, last year in the fall uh, with the election of Joe Biden over Donald Trump. And then I think you saw that a little bit earlier this year when Donald Trump endorsed a congressman uh, from Ohio for a primary and Donald Trump's endorsement lost. And then now you see it with um, Larry Elder getting absolutely destroyed um, by Gavin Newsom in this recall. So um, this is this was a big test for Trumpism, and it's going to be interesting to see whether the Republican Party continues to rally behind Trump or if they go into a different direction. But another thing that I wanted to add is that you know, there is a precedent for a Republican becoming a governor of California. Uh, when a lot of people think of California, they think it's a super blue uh, liberal state. And there are a lot of people like that. But there's also a large amount of conservatives just because of how huge the state is. I mean, in the 1980s, we had a Democratic governor, Greg Davis, and he was um, uh, defeated in a recall election by Arnold Schwarzenegger, who ran as a Republican. But Arnold Schwarzenegger, you have to remember, was one of the most liberal conservative Republicans at the time. So I think the GOP made a huge mistake by, you know, endorsing Larry Elder, of all people, who was like one of the most far right candidates. I think if they went for someone in the Republican Party who was a little bit more moderate and a little bit, uh, you know, more sensitive towards like Democratic priorities, because um, you saw through the polling the issues of, uh, you know, vaccine mandates, uh, mask mandates, you know, um, keeping California, Californian cities, sanctuary cities for illegal immigrants. Those policies are incredibly popular with uh, California voters. I think it's about uh, 70 or 60 percent of them support all of those things. So I think if you had a Republican candidate who was, you know, maybe a little bit conservative, but they still supported basic measures such as, you know, uh, mask mandates and vaccine mandates. And there are um, Republican governors and politicians that do support those things. Like, for example, uh, Governor Mike DeWine of Ohio is kind of a more moderate Republican. You know, he's upheld a state's mask mandate laws and things like that. So I think this um, this election is going to uh, send the GOP strategists back to the drawing board and they might try to, uh, you know, go in a more moderate direction to try and win more, to try and build a larger coalition of people to successfully win elections on the national level. Because uh, this current strategy, just rallying behind Trumpism and the far right elements of their party is just not working out for them. Yeah, well, I think that the GOP was really sent into a spiral when Donald Trump won because it was such a phenomenon that he won. Someone as far right and as conservative and just kind of outlandish as he is, is never going to be someone that we would have expected to win. But when he did, I think it sent a lot of strategists into thinking that's the way to go. But Donald Trump was a phenomenon and we're not going to continue down that path as is evident by um, Gavin Newsom winning this recall election. And like you said, I think this is going to be um, a good thing for the GOP party there. I think they're going to start straying away and hopefully detaching themselves from Donald Trump's past and what he's trying to bring forth in the next coming elections and start focusing more on centralized politics and a more moderate uh, candidate and figure and, and so forth. Yeah, uh, well, if there's nothing else to add, um, I think we can move on to our next topic. Um, so on Thursday, President Biden ordered a sweeping new vaccine mandate for over 100 million people. It requires all employers with over 100 employees to have their employees be fully vaccinated or show proof of a negative test every week. 
All federal employees, including healthcare workers, also have to be fully vaccinated. And President Biden cited the rising Delta variant as a justification for this move. Uh, so, Kate, do you want to get us started? Yeah, so um, I think that this uh, vaccine mandate is a type of aggressive effort that we really need to flatten the curve. I know that that's a term that we heard a lot at the beginning of the pandemic in like February and March of 2020, but numbers are are rising and we're at a point where numbers are rising and it's now a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And requiring this is only going to keep the economy strong, keep businesses strong, keep corporations strong. Um, and I think that we really need it. I don't, again, I, I know we've talked about this before on the show before, but I don't really understand how there can be so much opposition to this when there have been countless vaccines that we require to enter certain schools or just to live your life there. We need ma- vaccine mandates. And I don't know why there's so much uh, reaction to this because it's, it's really nothing new at all. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've been preaching this on the show for a while. There is a huge um, outrage over, you know, any kind of vaccine mandate or any kind of vaccine passport, even though those kinds of things have existed for polio, uh, for smallpox, for measles. Um, I mean, since the 1900s, basically, you have to have uh, certain vaccinations to be able to work for certain companies and, you know, do certain jobs and go to certain schools. It's always been that way. Um, So this new uh, COVID vaccine mandate is nothing new. Uh, Now, a lot of people are being kind of disingenuous about what this is when they say it's a mandate because it's I'd prefer the the term soft mandate. Right. Because you can still show proof of a negative test if you really, really, really don't want to get vaccinated. Um, But, yeah, like you said, I think this was uh, this was needed. As we saw, President Joe Biden's poll numbers have been declining for the first time in months. He kind of enjoyed Uh, you know, a little honeymoon after he got elected and after he passed the American Rescue Plan and, you know, the stimulus checks were sent out to everyone. But now after the way he's handled the Afghanistan crisis and after um, we thought we had defeated the virus, but then it came back in full swing after the Delta variant. I mean, he really had no other option. Joe Biden can just sit there and, you know, allow the Delta variant to keep ravaging the country. I mean, there have been several uh, states and cities where um, the ICU beds were filled up by people who had the Delta variant. And then you had people who were, uh, you know, gunshot victims or had allergic reactions or whatever it may be, who needed to go into the ER and they couldn't get in because it was already filled, um, you know, with people who, you know, willingly didn't take the vaccine and then got the Delta variants of COVID. Um, So I do think this is a good move. And, you know, a lot of people make the argument about, um, you know, it's your freedom. If someone doesn't want to get vac, if someone doesn't want to get vaccinated, you can't make them. You know, it's not like they're affecting you. But the government has a responsibility to protect people from their own stupidity and take away your liberty for public safety. I mean, there are so many examples of this, right? Like, think about seatbelt laws. Seatbelt laws only protect you. You don't have the freedom to, you know, go drive on the road without wearing a seatbelt. You don't have the freedom to, uh, you know, go into a construction zone and not wear like a hard cap because you're going to get hit in the head. So the government does have a responsibility uh, to protect people and take away their liberty in terms of public safety if people aren't, you know, uh, smart enough to protect themselves. Yeah, I mean, the pandemic has tested the patience of Americans since it began. Um, But 
like I said, there have been schools and, and businesses have required vaccines for measles, rubella, and tetanus for decades. And although there were holdouts for the polio vaccine, enough citizens eventually took it to purge the disease from the country's borders. This is not something new. And polls are showing a broad public support for Joe Biden's, I like how you said, it's a it's a soft mandate, the soft mandate for the vaccine. Um, but I just... I don't understand. I, I sound like I'm a broken record, but I don't understand why there's so much pushback on this. And like I said, this is going to help the country. It's going to help businesses. This is going to help businesses and help the economy, which is all the GOP seems to preach about. And and having to provide health care to people that end up hospitalized um, or whatever it may be because of COVID, having to pay time off for people that have to quarantine because they have COVID, whatever it may be, this is something that's going to prevent that. So why are so many people opposing it? Yeah, I mean, a lot of conservatives seem to be saying that they think it will be struck down by the Supreme Court. And I mean, knowing the current state of the Supreme Court, I wouldn't be shocked to see that happen. But I mean, in terms of this being constitutional, it's perfectly constitutional. The federal government has the authority to regulate commerce, aka business, under the Commerce Clause of 1887, most famously established in uh, Gibbon v. Ogden of 1824, right? I mean, one of George Washington's first actions uh, as the commander-in-chief was to make sure all of his soldiers were um, vaccinated against, I believe it was smallpox, but it could have been another disease back then. Um, So the idea that, you know, a vaccine mandate is unconstitutional is just completely unfounded. In fact, it's one of the most constitutional things there are. Um, But something else that was kind of interesting is that I saw a lot of mainstream liberal news outlets like CNN. I saw Anderson Cooper the other day. He was criticizing Biden. He was saying, well, you know, Biden is targeting people who haven't taken the vaccine. You know, he's shaming the people who are the victims of misinformation instead of um, targeting the people who are doing the misinformation. And you know, I do believe that you should target the people who are doing the misinformation. Obviously, the people who are spreading misinformation are worse than the people who are, uh, you know, taking in that misinformation. But on the other hand, I mean, these people are grown adults who are just being irresponsible. I don't care about hurting people's feelings. I don't care, um, you know, about if a vaccine mandate hurts their feelings or not, or if we're being too mean to them or targeting them. I mean, they're not like they're not little kids they're grown adults who made their own decision to not get vaccinated whether that be to false or misleading information at the end of the day it was their choice and you know you always hear uh conservatives and liberals talking about um you know uh taking responsibility for your own action well it's time for these people to take responsibility for their own actions but it seems like uh you know a lot of like even like liberal news outlets which was surprising like anderson cooper are saying like, oh, we shouldn't be targeting these people, they're victims, they're victims of misinformation. But at the end of the day, they made their own decision. They are grown adults with functioning brains who can think for themselves and make their own decisions. And they decided um, to make a decision not based on science, not based on facts, but based on, uh, you know, conspiracy theories and misinformation. So I don't think, um, you know, Biden is targeting these people or being too mean about or being too mean to them. I honestly like I don't care. I just want everyone to get vaccinated. 
Yeah, I, I think I understand like the sentiment of what Anderson Cooper was saying, but you're totally right. At the end of the day, this is a decision that needs to be made for the greater cause. It needs to be made for the good of other people. Um, as for the constitutionality um, aspect, I was doing some reading. I believe this was on NBC News um, where I was reading it earlier this week, um, talking about how the federal courts have rejected constitutional challenges to government vaccine mandates. Joe Biden is 100% being constitutional in this soft mandate. Um, but the reason why is because it's not targeting a specific demographic group. So the uh, comparison that was drawn in the article was the Supreme Court case in 1905. Um, I believe it was Jacobson versus Massachusetts, um, where Massachusetts was requiring people who refused to get the smallpox vaccine to pay $5. That was unconstitutional because it was targeting a specific demographic in a way that was punishing them like financially. What Joe Biden is doing is completely constitutional. It's for the greater good of others. And we are using a past Supreme Court case, 1905, which is now the law of the land to dictate this. And it is exactly constitutional. The Supreme Court seems to be, um, although conservative led, seems to be understanding of this um, and not pushing too much to say that it's unconstitutional, which is good because we need people, um, regardless of political party, people on both sides who are educated and smart need to be pushing for um, getting the vaccine because that is what will lead someone who is unvaccinated to getting it. Yeah, I mean, you know, we haven't heard any of the Supreme Court justices um, give an opinion or statement on this, or maybe they have, but I just haven't seen it. But I honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they overturn it, not because I don't believe it's constitutional. Like you said, I believe it's one of the most constitutional things there are. I mean, we've been having vaccine mandates ever since uh, the founding of this country. But um, Roe v. Wade was once considered a super president. A super president, it means it's a famous court case that is a well-established law of the land and it cannot be overturned. But we saw that uh, some of these newer justices like Amy Comey Barrett and, you know, Brett Kavanaugh um, rejected the longstanding opinion that Roe v. Wade was a super president. And they, you know, they allowed the Texas abortion law to be put into place. So I wouldn't be as shocked um, as other people might be if the Supreme Court were to overturn this. But I really hope it's not overturned because it is one of the most um, constitutional things there are. Yeah, I, I totally agree. Um, do you have anything else to add? Um, I do not. All right. Well, moving forward, uh, this week, head military general Mark Milley um, planned a secret coup against Trump. Uh, chairman of the Joint Chief of Staff Mark Milley took top secret action to limit former President Trump's authority to mobilize the military or engage in nuclear war in the days following the January 6th insurrection. After the insurrection, U.S. allies were concerned and wanted the Americans to reassure them that everything was under control. So General Milley, uh, General Milley secretly contacted our European allies and China and told them that he would make the final decision on any military action that Trump ordered. Milley also held a secret meeting with the heads of the NSA, CIA, and Pentagon, where he told these agencies to not act on any orders from President Trump unless General Milley himself personally signed off on it. Dan, do you want to start this conversation? Um, sure. I mean, yeah, this story is one of the most interesting stories that I've come across in a while. And I think it's 
kind of disappointing that, you know, more people aren't talking about it. I think one of the biggest uh, failings of mainstream media is that they seem to hype up like every single story. So when there actually is a story that is like huge and unprecedented, it seems like just another story. But this is this is one of the most um, significant stories, I think, to come out in this year. Um, in this, in Bob Woodward's new book, he said that General Milley believed Trump was insane, erratic, unhinged, and in serious mental decline after January 6th. Um, after the insurrection, a lot of our European allies in China, which is a major uh, trading partner, were on edge after January 6th. So uh, General Milley essentially reassured them. He called them and he basically said, hey, I'm the one in control. Um, you know, whatever Trump wants to do, he's not going to be able to do it unless I sign off on I sign off on it because, you know, the day before, I mean, January 6th, Donald Trump literally incited an insurrection against the Capitol and he was egging it on. So General Milley wanted to reassure our allies that, hey, he's not going to he's not going to press the red button. He's not going to start a nuclear war. You know, he's not going to mobilize the military to put himself back in power unless I sign off on it. And then the other really interesting part of the story was I was watching it on CNN. Apparently, Donald Trump also sent a secret memo to the Pentagon to withdraw all U.S. troops from Afghanistan by January 15th. Um, but according to Bob Newsom's new book, General Mark Milley disobeyed this order. Um, and according to the according to Bob Woodward, Donald Trump wanted to withdraw all U.S. troops because he didn't want Joe Biden to get any credit for um, withdrawing the troops from Afghanistan later. But, you know, as we saw, once the mainstream media uh, got a hold of the narrative, um, withdrawing from Afghanistan actually became a negative thing for Biden. So my take on this is, you know, if Milley intervened to stop a, nu a nuclear country on, an on another country, if he intervened to stop a nuclear strike on another country, sorry, he's a hero. I don't care about the protocols or the chain of command. You know, I want to stop people from dying. But on the other hand, if he intervened to keep us in Afghanistan, he's a villain. And I'm definitely against him doing that. But it's very likely only the latter happened because, um, you know, the military industrial complex is very powerful. But if he both prevented us from starting a war and then kept us in another war, then I don't know what to make of that. That's just um, chaos and mayhem. But my suspicion is that he didn't prevent another war. I think he probably did prevent Donald Trump from mobilizing the military and, you know, doing like an actual real coup in the United States. But I don't believe that Trump was going to uh, start a foreign war or launch a nuke. So my suspicion is that he probably only stopped Trump from mobilizing the military within our borders. And he probably also kept us in Afghanistan, which means he did something really good and then he did something really bad. So I honestly don't know what to make of this. Yeah, I mean, like you said when you were beginning, this story seems to be kind of flying under wraps and it is so complex and there are so many different folds to it. Um, and it, like you said, it is it is really interesting to look at all the different sides of it. Um, but I, I think the very fact that he felt the need to secretly go behind Trump's back and do this and like say these things is proof in and of itself that Donald Trump was abusing his power. The fact that he couldn't say it to his face is evident. I mean, he was impeached for it. He was impeached for abuse of power, but it's evident once again that he was doing so. Um, Trump also, I'm not sure if you saw Dan, released some very concerning statements from 
the his office like from his desk um where he was calling general milley like a dumbass and told him that he needs to be tried for treason like seven different times and it was just like really concerning um i know at one part in the book millie said that there are lots of checks um in the system to keep everything balanced to speaker pelosi but millie having to do that like i said having to go behind his back it's just evident that he was abusing his power um and again like you said this is more proof that trump literally has no idea what's going on ever like you said he wanted biden he didn't want biden to get the credit obviously he did not understand how this was going to fold out he also doesn't understand the geneva convention under the geneva convention countries have to warn other countries when they're going to strike um, and go at war so all general milley was doing if this is accurate is following international code and Trump thinks that he needs to be tried for treason for that. I have literally no idea why he could possibly think that other than the fact that he is in a serious mental decline, like General Milley said. Yeah, I mean, this story is just insane if you really think about it. I mean, you have the head general of the military disobeying the president of the United States. Imagine it's not, you know, Donald Trump for a second. Imagine um, the president is someone you like, like, let's say it's uh, Joe Biden or Bernie Sanders is president. And they order all U.S. troops to pull out of Iraq. And then General Milley just says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to disobey you. Well, then we'd say we're not a democracy anymore. We're a police state. We are under military control. Like, you know, so many other countries are. I believe um, there was a coup in another eastern country. I forgot the name of the country. But um, they are under control by a military force now after and their government has been overthrown. So, I mean, this story is just insane if he did you know stop donald trump from mobilizing the military or you know starting a nuclear war then i think that's good but it does set a horrible horrible precedent no matter uh you know what side of the political aisle you're on you know the partisan reactions to this were very predictable um i think all basically all republicans and conservatives basically said that uh you know general milley committed treason he's a traitor he should be tried and convicted and thrown in jail for the rest of his life. He has to obey, uh, you know, whoever the president is. He has to obey President Donald Trump no matter what, no matter what Trump wants to do. He has to follow the chain of command. And then, you know, you had a lot of uh, liberals saying that, oh, well, General Milley's a hero. He prevented Trump from, you know, starting a nuclear war, mobilizing the military or however it be. But I think people need to kind of take a step out of, uh, you know, their partisan bubbles for a second and just think of like, if if the president was someone that you like and they were doing something that you like, like let's say Biden was, you know, pulling out of Afghanistan like he did a couple months ago and then General Milley just said, no, I'm disobeying you. Then that sets a horrible precedent. It's almost like we're, we're not a democracy anymore. We're an authoritarian uh, fascist police state under military control. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you think of it in terms like that, like thinking of it with a president that you really like, it does set that horrible precedent. But the other side of it is like Donald Trump was not mentally stable. Like he was go- like he was acting in such extreme ways and he literally would have done anything. And while I don't think that just going against like your commander in chief is a good idea when you're using the biggest military in the world, um like Donald Trump in those last few weeks of his presidency were really was really scary like he would have done anything and everything just to like get a rise almost and he was just really concerning but talking about this it's just making me think um 
how frustrating it can be in politics these days when everything, every response seems so black and white. It's like this, if one party, let's say something happens and the Republican Party is the first to get some sort of reaction, like in a news outlet or whatever it may be, it's like the Democratic Party is just like, okay, we're just going to respond the exact opposite. Same thing happens in the news. Everything just is the exact opposite of what the party thinks. And I think sometimes that is the case, even when um, maybe that the, the situation isn't black and white and I know that the parties do have very different opinions but sometimes it just seems like they're just going against one another just to go against one another and when you're dealing with America like the biggest country in the world having the largest military um the leader of the free world um you can't just look at things like so black and white and thinking about how like the responses to this, like this is an example of something that is not black and white at all. Like he could have theoretically stopped nuclear war, but he also said not to pull out of Afghanistan. Like that is not black and white. There's so much in that statement and so many actions that he took potentially that we don't know. And looking at the parties and representatives of each party, just like, labeling him as just good or just bad is like really dangerous to the American society and the the will of the world. Yeah, I mean, there's just there's so many things that happened, I think, in the last two weeks of the Trump presidency. And I mean, some of those things we're just never going to find out about um, because he just he did he did a lot of things um, even after November leading up to January 6th to try to keep himself in power. And I still think there's a lot of things we don't know. Um, you know, it was actually originally a Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, who um, gave General Mark Milley the inspiration to, uh, you know, secretly contact our allies and go behind Donald Trump's back. You know, um, there was a leaked phone call that and the transcript of this call was finally revealed in Bob Woodward's new book that Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, called General Mark Milley and was essentially like, hey, you know, I want assurances that, you know, this guy is not going to press the red button. He's not going to start another nuclear war. He's not going to, um, you know, mobilize the military to keep himself in, in power. Uh, you know, he's insane. And what he did yesterday, you know, on January 6th is further proof of that. And then General Mark Milley was like, Madam Speaker, I completely agree with you. And after that happened, he not only contacted our allies in Europe and China, but he held a secret meeting with the leaders of the FBI, CIA, um, NSA and Pentagon. And he essentially said, don't obey any orders from President Trump unless I personally uh, sign off on it. So, you know, if he did keep us out of a war or prevent us from going into nuclear war, again, I have no problem with that. A lot of people are going to say, well, yeah, you know, I agree with keeping us out of nuclear war, but he should have followed the protocols. You know, he should have followed the chain of command. No, I don't believe in that. You have to do uh, whatever you have to do to save people. You have to do um, whatever you have to do to uh, make sure that our world stays in one place. You know, I'm a firm believer that I prefer, you know, achieving justice over achieving order. A lot of people are more devoted to order than to justice, which is a famous quote from Martin Luther King, by the way. But essentially what that means is like, they'd rather follow the, you know, the proper procedures and the proper protocols and the proper chain of command, even if it ended up in, even if it made all of our lives worse, rather than, you know, uh, breaking or bending the rules to make our lives better. So again, if he did break the chain of command to do that, I don't have a problem with that. But at the same time, I do believe it creates a dangerous president. You know, um, if the president was someone that we liked and then, you know, uh, Millie or some other general who literally controls the entire military just said, no, I'm disobeying you, then that sets a, 
a very, very scary president. So, I mean, there's just, there's so many factors within this. Like he kept us out of a war, but then he kept us in a war. And it's just, I think um, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this book coming out because I think there's still a lot more that we don't know that we're going to find out from this book. Yeah, I was just going to say to wrap up this conversation, I'm really interested in following this because right now, technically everything is like a theoretical and a hypothetical because we really don't know. So I'm really looking forward to seeing what pans out and when, like what happens um, with this story and, and what's actually true and what's presumed and whatever it may be because this story I think has potential to be like one of the biggest stories of the whole year um so we'll be following this and I just think that there's so many so many facets to it that it's it's just so complex thank you for listening to today's episode if you enjoyed today's episode and would like to continue supporting us you can do so by checking out our instagram page at yip institute if you'd like to see more from me Follow me on TikTok at Political Dan, where I cover the latest news stories right after they release. If you'd like to see more from me, follow me on Instagram at KateMCL16. You can also check out our website at www.yipinstitute.com. Make sure to follow our page as we upload a new episode every week. Have a great day, and remember to be kind to one another.